My name is Hannah Hornback. I am one of the interns here at Restoration. I'm so excited to be here this morning. Um, as Josh said, last week we got to celebrate Easter together and it was awesome. Like this room was packed. It was such a celebration. If you were not here with us last weekend, I encourage you to check it out online. Um, it was amazing. Like Kind of like Josh said, like, we've been in this spring break mode. We had Easter. We've been celebrating. It's kind of been like this adrenaline high. And, and coming off of it into this week, this past week, I don't know about you guys, I was definitely feeling like, whoa, okay, yeah, back to reality, kind of hit with the real world. There's still a lot of stuff going on. Like, we're still in the midst of COVID. We're still in the midst of everything that this past year and a half has brought on us. There's still a lot of hurt. There's still a lot of sickness and pain. There is still a lot of just strife. I mean, we've all, no one has been unscathed by this, right? We've all lost things. There's been weddings, jobs, proms, graduations, big moves. Everything has looked a little different than what we've wanted it to. And there's just still a lot of brokenness around us. And some of us have lost relationships over political stuff. Some of us have lost loved ones. And it's been a lot. And we just kind of have to come off of that adrenaline high. And it feels a little blah, right? Um... <laughs> <laughs> so we are in the middle of a sermon series around here called This is the Way. And we've been talking about the way we follow Jesus, what that looks like practically. And that's what we're going to continue to talk about this morning. Because we as Christ followers, we're kind of in the in-between, right? The in-between of the Easter story, the Easter celebration that we had last week, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and what our hope is fixed on, his ultimate restoration when he returns. And we're in that in-between of of what do we do with that now. So I wanted us to look at um, this passage of scripture that really just reminds us of the promise of our hope and what it is fixed on. This is Revelation 21, 1 through 5. It's going to be on the screen. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And this is the revelation, the vision that the Lord gave John, the author of the book of Revelation, who was one of um, Jesus' first disciples. And this is what the Lord is telling him. This is what the future is going to look like when Jesus restores everything to its entirety. And this, this is beautiful. This is what our hope as Christ followers is fixed on. This is the promise of what is to come. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. But then we look around and it's, it's very clear we're not there yet. There's still death, there's still mourning and crying and pain. We're left in this in-between, knowing that Christ's love has totally covered us with his sacrifice. Like, we have the opportunity to enter into a right relationship with God. We're totally covered and made new by that, but we're also not there yet with Jesus's total restoration over the whole earth. We have something that our eyes are fixed on, that our hope is in. You know, last week, Josh talked a lot about love, right? And specifically the love that God demonstrated for us by sending his own son to earth to bear our sin and shame and to die on a cross for us. And then three days later, he was raised back to life. And that was 
It's awesome. And we looked at the definition, the uh, English definition of the word love. We talked about how it's, you know, a, a feeling that we often, like, if I really just, like, uh, enjoyed a football, I would say, I love football. Or we would say the same thing about someone. That's how we feel about them. And we talked about how in scripture, it often talks about love in a bigger way. It's more than a feeling. Not that it's void of emotion, but that it's just so much more than that. Christ's love um, wasn't just a feeling, right? He didn't just sit in heaven and say, oh, I really feel for the humans. I really love them, feel bad for them and their sin. No, he entered into it. He took action. He demonstrated his love by laying his life down for us. So we're actually going to look really quick at the Greek word for love. This is the word agape. And in the Greek language, there's actually multiple words for the word love that can be translated into love. And they kind of have it separated. Like if they were going to talk about like, oh, I just like love popcorn, that would be a different word. And then this is the word that really describes like maybe how I would say like, I love my husband. Like I would do anything for him. It's, it's action-oriented. So this word agape, it can be translated into meaning love, right, devotedness, a kindly concern, a generosity. This is the active love that God has for his son Jesus and then for his people, for us. And this is the active love that God's people, that we are to have for God and then for each other and then even for our enemies. And so as we look at a few other scripture passages, the word love, if it's um, bolded in red, then you can know that's agape love. It's this active sort of love that we're talking about. And we're going to look at uh, something that Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 24. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, um, you can go ahead. If not, it's going to be on the screen. This is just a few chapters before Jesus was arrested and crucified, so before the Easter event. And Jesus is talking to the disciples here in kind of a multifaceted way. You see, he's predicting what's going to happen within this very generation. He's talking about um, the destruction of the Second Temple and the Roman-Jewish War and kind of some of the like, political strife that's going to go on. And, and everything he does say comes true within that generation. But he also, his words have future implications. You see, the disciples kind of ask him, like, hey, will you, like, let us know what are going to be some signs of the end times, of when you're coming back? So Jesus' words have kind of a double meaning here of what's happening in their present context and future implications for us of what, what are going to be some of the signs. Um, so we're going to read this together. Matthew 24, 3 through 14. It says, um, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are the beginnings of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness, the love, the agape love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So there's kind of a lot here. And the point of us looking at it is not to make some sort of claim of like, Jesus' return is near. I mean, we don't know the time, the day, the hour. That's not for us to 
really hyper-focus on, but it is for us to be able to kind of name some of the things we see happening in our culture, in the words that Jesus gives us, because he's telling the disciples, hey, this is going to be the movement of culture leading up to my return. And we're specifically going to look at, um, with our ongoing conversation of love and what that looks like, verse 12, Jesus says, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And um, that word wickedness, if you're reading out of an ESV Bible, it might be the word lawlessness instead. That's another translation for that word. And basically this is saying like the further that culture moves away from the loving and gracious laws that God has given us, the more that we are walking towards sin, the more we try to figure stuff out on our own, the more strife there's going to be, the more our love is going to grow cold, the more our relationships are going to suffer. And notice here, Jesus isn't saying anything about like the, oh, I just love popcorn sort of love. No, he's saying the agape love is going to grow cold, that active love, the kind of love that God demonstrated for us, that we're called to have back for him, and that we're called to have for other people. That's going to grow cold. So again, we're left with this question as Christ followers, stuck in the in-between, right? Like how do we cultivate deeper and warmer relationships in a world where love is growing cold? Because that is the way. That is what Jesus calls us to do. Um, I don't know if any of you remember the game when you were younger, hot and cold. Anyone know the game I'm talking about? Okay. Um, Quick refresher, this game, uh, there's usually two people and one person would um, kind of run the game. The other person would be a guesser and maybe they'd pick like an object. And um, as the the guesser moves closer to the object, the other person would say like, oh, you're getting warmer. You're getting warmer. Okay. Like it's getting really hot. Like you're on fire. And then they would guess the object. But if they're moving away from the object, they might say something like, oh, it's getting colder. Getting, it's getting really chilly. It's like snowing outside. And that should be an indication to the person that they need to turn around and go the other way, right? Um, and so I think that there's kind of a correlation here between like how our relationship with God, the way that God loves us, the love that we show back to him, really affects our relationships with other people, right? Maybe the warmer we get, the more we are basking in the love that the Father has from us, the more that we are just getting into scripture and really um, getting acquainted with the truth that we are his, that he loves us so much, the more that we are just in love with him, the more that we become on fire and consumed by the love that the Lord has for us. It's just our natural expression to love other people in that same way, right? But maybe the more that we're not so focused on this relationship, the more we're like, I'll just love people in the best way I can because I just want to be a good person, right? Maybe like, I'll just love the people that it's easy to love. Actually, No one is easy to love. We are all flawed, so I'm just going to do whatever is best for me. And all of a sudden, it's kind of cold, right? Like this relationship, it's hard to feel, and these relationships get really hard to manage. You see, the closer that we get to God, the more that we actively participate in our relationship with God, the closer we get to following his heart. Our vertical relationship drastically changes and affects our horizontal relationships. Let's remember the words of Jesus when um, he was asked, hey, out of all the laws and commandments, like, what's the most important? What do you really want us to know? And this is what Jesus says. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. But I want you to notice the order in which Jesus gives these commands. First, 
It's about our relationship with him, right? It's about the agape love that he has for us that we are called to have back for him. And it's an all-consuming sort of love. It's all of our heart, all of our mind and our soul and our strength. It's our identity. It's who we are. Like we just love him. And then Jesus says, love other people the same way. But the role isn't reversed. And that pattern is really seen all throughout scripture. In uh, 1 John 4.11, it says, Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. Beloved, like God's like, this is your identity. Like you are my beloved. You are dearly loved. You are my objects of my special affection. And because of that, because that's the truth, love other people the same way. 1 John 4.19, which uh, Josh talked a lot about last week, it doesn't say if we love other people really well, maybe we'll earn God's love. Maybe we will earn that sort of love for us. No, it says we love because he first loved us. Jesus doesn't tell us to bear fruit before he tells us to remain in him. In fact, he says we can't bear fruit apart from him. We have to be well acquainted with our own belovedness before we're really going to get loving other people right, at least in a, in a biblical way. And we've got to understand we can't earn his love. Like, there's nothing we could say or do or not say or do that's going to change the way he loves us, the way that we're just his. Like, we are his beloved, no matter what. That's just how he sees us. We're not working for his love. Rather, we get to work out of a place of it. We're not trying to earn a smile on the Father's face. Rather, because he's smiling upon us, this is our natural expression. This is how we get to live because of that. Um, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, it's going to be on the screen here. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love, agape love, and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And again, we see this movement here of this is having to do with our relationship with God, and then it moves into what that means for our relationship with others. And Paul starts off here in this passage basically by saying, like, in light of Easter, in light of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he made it possible for us to enter into a right relationship with God, for the Father to look at us and see us as blameless and pure, for us to be free. I mean, this is a gift, and then we are called to draw near to him. We're called to enter into that relationship with him, to, to have an active participation, an active sort of love with the Father. We're called to grow in relationship with him because we are his beloved and because he's ours. And, and what this is really getting at here is how Jesus changed everything, right? Like before Jesus, there had to be a mediator between the people and God. There had to be a priest that the people would, you know, bring their request to and that person would go to God and God would go to them and they'd go to God. And, and Jesus changed everything. We have direct access to boldly approach the Father. We get direct access to a relationship with him, the God of the universe. That's amazing. And we're called to grow in that. And then because of that, man, I love verse 23. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
that hope that we talked about at the beginning of, of Jesus restoring everything and making all things new, no more death or suffering or tears or pain, we hold unswervingly to that hope. Like we don't veer from it. It's just who we are. It's ingrained in us. It's our identity. And he who promises faithful. So we don't, we don't veer from that hope. And it's because of that identity that then this moves into how we get to love other people. Because we got to realize first that the Lord's agape love for us is it's radical. It is scandalous. It is grace-filled. We don't deserve it. And it's beautiful. And it's just a free gift. And then out of that, we get to love other people in that same way. Our identity has to be in the fact that we're his, that we are his beloved. Our vertical relationship drastically changes and affects our horizontal relationships. So let's look at the rest of this passage because it calls us to a few tangible things. It calls us to spur one another on in love and good deeds. It calls us to not give up meeting together. And it calls us to encourage one another. Spurring one another on in love and good deeds. Um, the other day, actually a few weeks ago, I don't know why I said that. My husband came home from work and he was telling me uh, just a story from work that really stood out to me. And he works at an autism center here in Roanoke. And um, because of HIPAA and all that, I'm going to give these students fake names. We're going to call them Sam and Nick. And Trey was telling me that um, Sam is one of his students who, um, like, he is nonverbal. He can't talk, but he laughs at everything. And he's just joy-filled and he's content. And Trey said that their biggest issue with Sam is that sometimes when other kids are getting in trouble, he laughs too much. So that's what they have to work on with him. And Sam um, often will, like, get all of his stuff done. And, and they have it set up in their class where when you get your tasks done, you get a, a reinforcement time where you get to pick what you want to do. And Sam loves to listen to music. So during that time, he'll pull up YouTube and, and he'll search his favorite songs and he'll play them out loud. And, and he loves pop music. Apparently, Imagine Dragons is, like, Sam's favorite. And so this particular day, Sam uh, had gotten all of his stuff done. He had earned his reinforcement time. He was probably really excited to pull up Imagine Dragons. And there's another kid in the class named Nick. And on this particular day, Nick was having a day. He was screaming. He was crying. He couldn't get anything done. He couldn't focus. The teachers didn't know what to do. He was trying to leave the classroom. He was having a day. He did not earn his reinforcement time. And Nick also loves music. But he loves country music. Country music is his jam. So when he gets his time, he too pulls up YouTube, but he searches country music. And so on this day, like I said, he didn't earn that time. He was really having a bad day. And Trey told me that Sam pulls up his YouTube browser, but instead of searching Imagine Dragons, he pulls up his friend's favorite country song, and he plays it, and then he just looks, and he watches. And as Nick hears the country song that he loves, he starts to calm down <laughs> and listen. That spurs me on in love and good deeds. <laughs> That's agape love. That is an active love. He didn't just feel for him. Like, we all feel for people when they have a bad day. We're like, oh, been there, done that. Like, hope it gets better. But he did something about it. He sacrificed his own time, and he said, I'm going to give you something that makes you happy. That's agape love. This is how we spur one another on in love and good deeds. We exemplify it, and then we share the stories of it. The next thing it says is don't give up meeting together. And I love how Paul says, don't give up on it because it can get a little mundane, right? Maybe some of us have been going to church for a long time or that small group or that family devotional time or that discipleship mentorship relationship you have. And this says, don't give up on it. Keep going. That's important. That is crucial. That is where we spur each other on in loving good deeds. It's vital. This time is vital for us to go out and love other people in the way we're supposed, sorry, supposed to. And the third thing it says, encourage one another. 
um, a few weeks ago, I got to lead uh, some of our high school students on a missions trip to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Thanks for that shout out. It was awesome. Like it was one of the best weeks ever. I got to see the Lord just do so much in and through our high school students. And I felt like I had the best front row seat to it. It was amazing. And there was one thing, I'm going to be a little honest with you guys, before the trip that I was a little concerned about. And I was on the phone with um, the leader of this trip who um, works with the organization we did it through called Leader Treks. And she was kind of running me through like the day by day how things would run on the trip. And she said, and then, you know, we're going to get to this team time and we're going to do this thing called encouragement beads. I was like, beads? Like a necklace? <laughs> and I'm thinking, this sounds really lame. Like she was like, yeah, the students are going to give them to each other and it's going to be awesome. Like you're going to love it. It's like, am I going to love it? Really? <laughs> And so I told Kayla, who was coming on the trip with us, I said, hey, there's going to be this one thing that I think you and me are really going to have to, like, make it awesome because it sounds not awesome. It sounds kind of lame. <laughs> and so we get through the whole first day there that we're working together, and we're at this part in our team time where this gal pulls out this bag of beads, and I'm like, here it comes, you know. And I was so stand corrected. It was my favorite part of every single day. So how we ran encouragement beads, there was four different colored beads, and they were just simple little beads. They stood for um, leadership, service, compassion, and risk-taking. And what we would do is we would pass this bag of beads around, and each student would pick one that they wanted to give to someone else. And then we would go around in this circle, and everyone would take turns, and, and when it was their turn, they would look directly at the person they wanted to give it to, and they would intentionally say in front of everyone, I saw God working through you today through risk-taking. And then they would explain how. They would say, man, like, when you knocked on that family's door and when they couldn't speak English and you tried your best at Spanish, like, that was awesome. I just saw the Lord give you boldness in that moment. And I'm just, I was so encouraged by that. And then they'd get up and they'd go give them their bead. <laughs> it was beautiful. Our students spoke so much life and truth and encouragement over each other every single day. It was awesome. I stand corrected. The beads were great. <laughs> but we were uh, actually together this past week kind of reminiscing on parts of the trip that were our favorite. And encouragement beads came up, and we started talking about it. And it was Maddie Winstead said something so profound. She said, you know, it really, the beads don't matter. If I lose that bracelet, whatever. But the words that people spoke over me, I'll never forget. Man, words are powerful. What a free gift. There's another student, I think it was Macy Johnson, she said, yeah, you know, by the end of every day, I really didn't have a problem picking out one bead for one person. I had a problem only picking out one bead for one person. I wanted to give them all out. And then we were like, you know, when you take the beads out of it, we do have the ability to give them all out every day to all the people around us. Encouragement is a gift, and it's amazing when you get to look at someone and just, like, tell them the good things that you see in them, the, the good things that the Lord is doing to them. It's a game changer. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I don't do this enough. We don't do this enough. Encourage one another. It's a game changer. So we're left with these three things. To spur one another on in love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together and encourage one another. And do these things because you are loved by the Father. It's our outward expression. So here's the challenge. Two things. First, what is one way that you are going to actively participate in your relationship with God this week? He gives an active love to us. We get to show an active love back to him. Maybe it looks like taking a little bit of extra time to spend in scripture and basking in the truth that comes in that. Maybe it looks like setting aside some time for silence and solitude and just listening to God. Or, or maybe it looks like fasting 
I don't know what it is, but what's, what's one way you're going to actively participate in your relationship with God this week? Two, what's one way you want to actively love someone else? And maybe this one's a little harder to plan out beforehand because sometimes in the spur of the moment, the Holy Spirit's like, say that to that person or do that, meet their need in that way. But maybe there is someone that, that God's put on your heart that you're like, yeah, I need to take an action there. What's one way you're going to actively participate in your relationship with God? One way you're going to actively love someone else. And I would love to encourage you, tell someone your game plan. So that way when you don't give up meeting together, you can spur each other on in love and good deeds. And you can share the stories that come of that. You can hold each other accountable. I'm going to pray for us. And then uh, the worship band is going to come back up. Um, would you pray with me? Jesus, man, thank you for your love. Thank you for how your love for us didn't just stop at a feeling. You took action, Jesus. We are thankful for that. Thank you for calling us yours, for giving us the identity of being your beloved. Holy Spirit, I pray that out of that identity, out of that truth, you would lead us in loving other people in an active way. Lord, we want to be a part of love growing warmer. We want to be the ones who who bear your love to other people well. (laughs) Would you lead us in that? Lord, we're thankful for your love for us. Jesus, I pray that you would continue to illuminate your love for every person in this room as we walk through this week. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Amen.